Hello, my friends. Hello. Uh, you're my friends. I'm talking to the loyal and valued listener. Lana, welcome. Thank you, Tim. You're ultra keen to jump in today. Super keen today. Wow. <laughs> Nigel, you're, why is everyone smiling? Hello, Nigel. Morning, Timothy. How are you today, mate? It's, it's amazing when you two have had a couple of coffees and you come in. I've, I need to actually temper this excitement. This enthusiasm makes me nervous. No, it's, I'm excited because Lana's in the room and I always enjoy the <laughs> podcast when Lana's in here to divert attention away. <laughs> okay. All right, we've got the funny ones in today. Okay, good. How are you both? Very, very well, thanks, Tim. Very busy but great. Nigel, we're finding people for saying they're busy. We're all busy. Yeah, no, I know. But, uh, I mean, busy and productive. So, happy. Wonderful. Good. I want to talk about something that has been triggered um, it has been triggered by the pre-podcast production meeting and the reason it is triggered is um, we are in Melbourne, as everyone knows by now, um, from some Google searches that we can see happening. But uh, Melbourne's a very exciting time this time of year because we are heading into March. Actually, we're not heading into it. We're well and truly into the first week of it. But we are the official uh, city for the first Formula One Grand Prix. And so in the next 10 days, the start of the Formula One season will begin here. And because uh, many people may already know we're Formula One fans, not necessarily just because it's cars going round and round on a track, but we're pretty obsessed with the technology, the way that they run their teams and the high performance environment. So particularly uh, myself, I personally love to read a lot of Formula One books, love to follow the sport closely more interested in the behind the scenes stuff than um, any more than the actual sport and where that stemmed from was being invited into the pits once upon a time and thinking oh good I'm going to get to go and walk into a mechanics and walked in there and like holy moly this is literally like a surgery there is not a piece of oil anywhere everything's bright everything is there's dust covers there's not an ounce of it was just I thought it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen for basically a mechanic workshop that is like, okay, these guys aren't mechanics there. This is a different level and that was that inspiration around, wow, what are these guys doing? What's this sport more about? So we were talking about, particularly in partnerships, is viewing your company as a partnership. So not just the partners you have which might be equity partners or um, business partners in some way. If you look at everyone in your company – they are essentially partnering you to get a result that they want. So for them, <coughs> excuse me, for them, that's going to be <laughs> You get emotional good. about this, don't you? Uh, it's great to see. <laughs> Thank you for uh, talking over, Nigel, because while I was just choking you, oh my, I'm going to choke, guys. Anyway, this could be the last one we do. Um, but it's, it's how we see the whole company as a partnership together. And what we want to talk about today, and Lana, you brought this up, is how do we curate high performance, a high performance culture because naturally that's competitive in an environment where people aren't really playing for life and death but I guess we like to curate environments particularly in our companies that are competitive in a positive way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a really interesting question and I guess my background with Formula One is I had absolutely no interest in Formula One remotely. It was a bunch of cars going around a track and then... Yeah, that was definitely in the um, not good column for me in our relationship. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And then just as naturally progresses, so Tim is watching the Formula One when we first um, started dating and I started looking into, well, what did it actually all mean? Because I had no idea. There there are 20 drivers. It's actually an elite entity and similar to you where you enjoy the mechanics and the cleanliness of it, I got so obsessed with um, the fact that there are smaller teams that help to educate the bigger performance team, the fact that um, they take all of the data in real time and then it flows through and it makes it uh, the performance on track even better and all of this stuff. So that's the side of it that I really got into and in more recent times with um, books and podcasts that are coming out from the mechanics and the people who actually make those performance decisions and the wind tunnels and how they build them, I I would say obsessed with that process of it. Yep. And so then to bring that back to how do you perf- build a high-performance team, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of the right people. Do I think we've got it spot on? Not yet. Yep. But I do find um, that we're on the right path from our point of view because we're tr- we're trying, we're doing real-time feedback. And I think that that's one of the biggest things of a performance team is they always need to know where they are. And yep. the right sort of people, they get this real-time performance and it spurs them on, good or bad. It makes them want to be better or it puts them down that same path. The wrong sort of a person will get this feedback, this real-time analysis or data, however you do it, and they take it personally and it uh, reduces their performance. Mm. So what we're really talking about is starting to um, cultivate a dynamic that is uh, culturally effective in a larger company or as you grow as a company without being detrimental for individuals who may not have been in that type of environment. Because I think one of the challenges that we have is, uh, as I've said before, I'm, I've been lucky enough to be in some semi-elite teams as a junior sports person. And what you learn as a junior sports person is you, you're playing with your friends in a team but essentially they're trying to ruin your career because – there's a limited number of spots. If you don't make this team, you're not going to progress to the next level and have a chance to become a professional. So you're joking around and having fun with the people in the team, yet their sole objective is to make sure your dream is crushed. And if you haven't been in that, um, if you've been in junior sports teams, it's fine at a local level because everyone's just having fun. You might lose your position or you might be benched or you might um, go down to a lower grade team. But when you start getting to elite level, you don't get the chance to come back up. Once you're done, you could be done as a 13-year-old. You could be done as a 14-year-old. And you start to realise that how do you enjoy working with people that are trying to destroy you? In, in, you, know, you I know that sounds <laughs> fun, but how, how do you actually do that? And this is, um, I think, one of the, the challenges we have when we run want to run a high-performance um, uh, high-performance partnership but also a high-performance company is taking people who've never been exposed to those environments that are still great people that have still got a lot to contribute but making sure that they understand this feeling is not about being in a brutal regime where they're going to be hurt as a human because we've got to make sure we protect our people. High-performance is not for everyone. Some people are very sensitive. That even the idea of thinking that, wow, this person's trying to take my role or outperform me or get above me is normally something when you look at corporate culture that is – it's called politics. They're doing stuff to um, undermine me so they can take my position. Whereas I look at it as SMEs and smaller businesses is 
you're trying to get the best people in the right position as fast as you can to grow because we don't have the runway of we're a listed company or things like that or we're a big organisation that bad performance can be absorbed for many years or even bad department because there's resources there. It's different in an SME. It's very cutthroat. Yeah, and you don't want people to undermine. It's not about, you know, throwing someone under the bus. Performance in business is about who is the person who does the job, who is the person who takes full responsibility and who is that person who always delivers again and again without question. That's that's high performance. It's not, well, you did a better job than that person. It's almost that idea of it's focused on yourself of delivering so that people around you can also deliver. The high performance individual in a sporting team does his job or her job so well that their teammates can do their job equally as well. And so in corporates, you do quite often see the individual. It's all about the individual. What we're looking at in a high performance environment is who is that person who looks after themselves and does their job well, but almost takes full responsibility that they know that their job is to help others to succeed and get to a high level without fear. Absolutely. And and maybe this is where we want to um, push the conversation to is as a partner, so as an owner, as a partner in a business, and let's look at this more as um, partnership in ownership where you're in an operational position rather than you're a shareholder, a partner like this because that's almost irrelevant. We, This is where we want to get to. It's talking about, for me personally, is how do I perform in the partnership or in the structure that we've got that I get the very best out of myself. So my whole job is to basically get the very best out of myself and then wait for the person who can knock me off. And I'm not going to make it easy but I am looking for the person who can slay the king. It's that whole idea of as a partner in it, have you thought about what it's going to take to replace you? And it's creating that environment or performance level from you at the start and then setting it up for someone to come and take your place because most people who own the business I think get sloppier and sloppier as the business progresses because they get a level of success and they're still running the same thing but they've got some delegation, they've got some things they can do where they no longer have to do that but they're they're basically sitting there going this is going to be my career for the next whatever years which is nothing wrong with that but when we're talking about high performance environments, Lana and I are, are crying out for people to replace us that's our whole goal. Yeah, but I think you guys are somewhat of outliers. If like you're in a top percentage, because what you you started your companies with the view to replace yourselves. Most people, and I, I disagree with. On, I, yeah, no, I actually disagree with your statement about business owners getting sloppier and sloppier um, as they if they get some measure of success. Business in the SME space is so all-consuming that I think a lot of business owners tie so much of their own identity to what they do that they grab a tighter and tighter hold to what they do so they could never think of being replaced because if you replace me then who the hell am I? Not only who the hell am I but um, what do I do with my life? Yeah. And so this is a, a major thing is are you earning your job every day? So that's the whole idea. And then Lana and I were talking about Formula One where we started this was just discussing from a leadership point of view and a partnership point of view of how do you how do you have this, you know, half a billion dollar team that's all these, you know, call it 500 people in the team, give or take 250 people each side and you've got two drivers. So it all comes down to the pointy end. You've got the same car with two humans in it. Both cars are equally as good 
and the only variable then left is these two people. How do you deal with that sort of the ego of these two people, the decisions that the team has to make to prioritize people? How do you who what it takes to be the number one versus number two? And these are the same challenges we have in business between two people going for one management position or who do you give a promotion to? A lot of you know smaller businesses go after the loudest noise. You know, it's like there's always someone who can tell you what they can do and people go, well, that's great. I'm going to I'll hire them as opposed to what are you actually doing or what have you actually performed? Because nobody likes – oh, sorry, the wrong people hate to be held accountable to what they said they're going to do. The right people thrive on it. Yeah, because they trust themselves and they know that they're in the right team that they can actually perform to do it and if they can't, they figure out a way to get what they need to perform day in and day out. And especially with small businesses, you can't give all of the things all of the time. But what you don't look for and looking you know, back to F1, those two drivers, they get all the credit. They are the people up on the podium. They are the people that when they win, the 500,000 people who made them get there surround them and put them up as the hero. If you're not okay as one of those 1,000 so people who let that person out front do their job – should you be in that sort of an environment? If you always need the spotlight, you're not going to be that driver. That is the Lewis Hamilton or whoever it might be. If you think that you should be in the spotlight, what are you doing every day to perform? What are you doing every day to get in that car, to win the five championships and to never ever rest on your laurels? Because whether it's the sloppiness, whether it's the small business owner who holds it so tight, you also get to a point where sometimes you just think that you deserve it. I deserve to have this wage. I deserve to have this job. Performance is you don't deserve anything. If every day you come in and you perform to a high level, that's when you deserve what you get. You earn it. Absolutely. And you have to earn it every day. The advantage of that as well is that that what you're talking about in that F1 space is that everyone in there is an expert in their single area and is chosen to do that single thing. So while... Lewis Hamilton, thank you for giving me a name that I can refer to, uh, is standing on the podium. The guy that's looking after the tyre pressure is just as proud as that achievement and gets the same sense of accomplishment from doing that as he does on the podium. It's only when in – it's only when uh, – Because <laughs> he's never been on the podium. Yeah. <laughs> but if you look at uh, – put it in a framing that I no, understand in it's movies true. and those kind of things, the guy – there's ten people in the world that can have a movie uh, camera – 10, 10 centimetres from their face and a moat and then put that on a 40-foot screen and make it believable. Yeah. The person that does the lighting for that, the person that edits it, everyone contributes to that story yep. and they're just as proud and they and they will hold that up. But it's because they are responsible and know the outcomes. Where it falls down in the SME space is and that politicking that you were talking about and people pushing against accountability is that they might be misaligned to the position well, let's 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 cover that, uh, Nigel. It's a really good point, but I want to cover politics as a general corporate rule. It's not just corporates, and I said it's that, and, and I probably should pull that back. It's as the company starts getting enough critical mass, you start to see people wanting to position themselves within opportunity, which is essentially high performance. Most people shy away from that because when they hear about politics the straight away you think of politicians or being underhanded or all the things that we associate with the media 
we want we don't want to have politics slowing us down in any company. What we want is people seeing a gap and going for it. Yeah. People wanting to do that work to get to that position. People hungry. The problem we have is that society is not built for high performance. That's why it's high performance and it's very rare. There's all the rules and legalities around being able to protect employees and people and and whatever it is to make sure that there is a level of, um, I guess, consistency. So if you can imagine this, imagine if there was no laws where I could sack anyone the next day because, you know what, just don't like the cut of your jib, I don't think you're a high performer, you made a mistake. How would people respond in that? Now, you can do that. The issue is you're legally going to have problems because as a business you can't because imagine people operating that environment. And the challenge we have as companies is how do we create environments where people are encouraged to push past the norm and want to achieve and want to grow and want to climb the ladder or want to establish themselves in a company without hurting everyone around because they're doing it at the cost of the greater good. And that's probably the key with all of this is understanding that high performance doesn't mean at the cost of everything else. So Lewis Hamilton's high performance isn't at the cost of destroying the team because the, there's two things you can win in Formula One. The driver's championship, driver's championship and the constructor's championship. So there's two trophies going on in the season. One's the individual for who's the best driver and the other one is which the best team. The bonuses in the team, so guys like Toto Wolf and all that, would be heavily geared from Mercedes and Daimler to win the constructor's championship. Great for brand, shows they're the superior automaker in the highest performing um, competition in the world. There's so much going on. So if Lewis Hamilton runs off Valtteri Bottas, he's actually, he still might win, but he is costing the rest of his team, which wouldn't be acceptable. Mm. So there's this fine line between winning everything. How do we be the best driver in the world, but make sure our team wins? And that's a very, very difficult thing to do. And it's something you have to address. And I I might go to the next point, Lana, because I'd like to get your thoughts on it. It's, I guess, partners um, thinking their equity guarantees them a role. Yep. So, (laughs) which we all looked at each other going, wait a minute. (laughs) No, guys, I'm fine. But But really, let's talk about that because I think with SMEs, that's the one thing that they, um, the one thing that they don't, work out is as the owner you think you are you should have a role and that's okay but if you're running a high performance company um why would you want the role if you can get someone better in it and everyone has different reasons around this uh as you've said tim you and i just want to replace ourselves and we will go on to the next role and the next role so we will always operate that way uh to nigel's point some of the owners will find that that's their identity and I know I personally had to work quite hard to remove my identity from that particular role. So, been yep. there, done what was that. Your, what was the post that you used to have on your screen? I am not the business. Oh, that's the one you put on my screen, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was effective. Um, but, but, but don't jump over it. I mean, why did we have to write that? Because uh, I had the belief that I could be at the business working in the office at 2am and that meant that the business was working at 2am. Yep. Now, I still believe that that, was required in the initial stages of our business so that we could quickly jump. And I don't regret that at all. What, you're talking about working hard? Working hard. Definitely not. Absolutely. There's a must do unless you've got the resources. Mm. Um, 
our time is our resource. We can sell at that time. Absolutely. And no yep. one else would be working at two o'clock in the morning so I could get that hard work done. It yep. does mean, however, I don't always have a lot of respect when I hear people say, oh, no, 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 no. I'll just I'll, – I'll slowly get to it and I'll do it this way. And I just think, well, no, if, you're, if your want is to build an amazing business, there is time that you have to put in it, which some would say above and beyond, which – no, it's just the time. It's just the time yeah. required. Um, Above and beyond is generally the word that others use who aren't where they want to be, mm. describing others that are working harder. They go above and beyond. Or that's just what's required at this point to give them a, even the slightest shot at getting their dreams. Yeah. And so looking at this idea of – and I will just go back to the post because I think that's probably an important one in a partnership yep. – the equality of work. And I know we've touched on it before when it comes to the different um, roles that you play. But if you're performing every day in the partnership, you have to be getting the results. Simple as that. And if you're not getting the results, well, that's then where you come back to your equity stake. What is your equity actually for? With equity doesn't always come a role but that becomes a lot more responsibility. It's 100% correct and this is where I guess the um – Challenge lies is who tells you that you're not worth your equity if you're the owner? Mm. And so here in lies the conundrum for a lot of business owners is who who is your master? And so for me, I always pretend that I'm accountable to someone. Um, and it's not perfect all the time, obviously, because we're human. So sometimes it's like, yeah, but, you know, that's just – Sometimes as the owner, you because you if you set too high expectations, sometimes you can go the other way, which is you're actually killing yourself because you don't know where to limit what you can do because the problem is, yeah, well, <laughs> well, it's what Lana was talking about. But how do you – this is the balance you need to find as an owner of a business or in a partnership and particularly if we're in a partnership like, you know, Alana and I are in a personal partnership as well as a business partnership – how do we set the expectations of the role that we each need to play? And that's we don't get it right because Lana's going to have times like, could you do that? I'm like, um, yeah, of course I can. It's number 19 on my to-do list. And where I need to think. So it's actually aligning that so we both can perform at our top level without hurting each other's performance or putting too much pressure on a component in the business. And that's the fine line that we're trying to talk about is even in high performance, you've got to make sure there's no component failures that could destroy the whole company because you must break components, by the way. The old saying we've said here, you only learn to swim when you're drowning. Is that horrible? Have I said that in you, front of you, Lana? You, you could have just used the <laughs> F1 analogy to keep it. Or you need to scrape a few walls to yeah. see the speed you can go at. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you feel is the things that – generally lead to worse performance when you're trying to optimize performance what are the things that you think people stuff up okay there are probably two sides of this which is the person developing and the person receiving yep um, the person developing absolutely number one is that they know it all my my what I'm developing I'm so smart if I do it it will make sense and yep. then when they get feedback it becomes well these people just don't understand Mine is so perfect. What what are they not seeing? Yep. So it's not being open to more information or a really nice way of saying it is if you're the smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong room. Definitely. Getting more of that information. If you find yourself winning too much, play a bigger game. Play a bigger game. <laughs> um, 
Wow. Um, the other thing in terms of actually we're conditioned. <laughs> building it and getting that process running would be you need to know the end goal. And it doesn't have to be the 10-year end goal if that's not where you're at, but it has to be for this particular project or whatever you're building, what is it going to be used for? How is it going to be used so that you can start at the start and build it up? The flip side of that is for the people receiving it, you as the builder have to communicate it to them. This yep. is what we're building. This is what the end goal is. When you get their feedback, you have to take it on board. What they need to know is they also are not the smartest person in their room. Their ideas are not all valid. While they might be very valuable, there are things that they simply will not know and that when they get a system or whatever it might be, uh, in Philodomo we give it to our team and we ask them to break it. Yep. So their feedback is fundamental and we love it. But if you give it to people and they feed back to you, there has to be that mechanism, that two-way street. How is the feedback coming in? How does it relate to the end goal? How does this make us better? And if no one can answer that or no one can answer it in the same way, that's that's the biggest pitfall. Mm. Definitely. Nigel? Uh, there's also one of the biggest issues that I see is when trying to develop a high-performance person is placing your energy into the wrong – not the wrong person but trying to develop someone into a performance machine in the wrong area. So the red flags will come up and you ignore them going, I know the person has the, a skill set and I know that they can perform but they just may not be contributing in the way that they can because if you are truly aligned to the thing that you love to do – I think then all you need is encouragement and a guidance. If you are performing in or you're forced into an area where a lot of people, they spend most of their time in an area in the business that is not their true skill set because that's how the business has evolved, mm. they're never going to be high performing and all they're going to do is try harder and harder and harder and not get the result and that turns into a feedback loop of crap. Yeah, there's, an old, there's an old saying that people shouldn't have to be managed. So if people are in their right um, spots in a company or whatever endeavour they're in, they actually know what they need to do then. And that particularly with SMEs, and I want to pick up on your point because it's really important. The issue with an SME is, and this is why corporate life can be a lot easier, is because the businesses are generally established and have an infrastructure that keeps that um, without – I realise that there's a lot of – bigger level moves that happen within a corporate which is in terms of losing a department, restructuring, all that. So the things that are, are normal there because they need to. But in an SME you get a speed of growth that outgrows the people in the position mm. so quickly that even within 12 months the person who was brought in to do that role is just not equipped to do the next role because it can happen so quickly because these are smaller companies. They can get rapid growth really quickly but that person's way out of their depth. So someone who was extremely competent for where you hired them for and what you needed them for, by the time you get to stage two, which could be six months, 12 months, 18 months, they actually wouldn't get that job again. Yeah. But you're stuck with them and not with them because they've done anything wrong. I mean, I more feel for the person. They, it's not your fault you've outgrown their ability. Now, for everyone listening going, Tim, you're such a prick. Train them. You have internal training. It's too slow. It's not that I don't want people to evolve but I picked them for this role. The company's outgrown them. I don't have them six, 12 months to pick up five years of experience and this is where the dilemma lies around high performance and not hurting people during fast transitions is how do I deal with that 
in not only a partnership because this this is probably where it gets back to and we can tie a big bow. <laughs> what happens if you outgrow your partner? Now, this is something that's happened uh, for me personally before and maybe that's an arrogant thing to speak about. It's not outgrowing them because they weren't smart people, they weren't um, totally capable, that they weren't um, just great to be around. Outgrew them because we're in different parts in our life. I'm not easy to partner with. I know that for a fact. I I 100% (laughs) agree. I don't believe it. It's lonely at the top, guys. It's lonely at the top. Um, But if you outgrow a partner, what do you do? Because what happens if your lives are taking um, different courses at particular times? And we started the business five years ago. One of the partners is driving to this huge ambitious goal that they want to get to. The other person decides that a bit of balance might be nice. We're starting to make some money. Um, I want to have a family. I want to do all these things, common things that we see every day. What happens if you outgrow your partner and the performance level expected has changed? One of the partners is not performing for when you began the business. We hit the goal. But what happens if that alignment is no longer there? And I think that's part of this whole high-performance you can deal with the staff issues. You can deal with the way the business needs to operate. But when you get back to the top of people who own the company or are in partnership together, how do you how do you deal with that if you're actually not aligned anymore? And that's really a challenge. And you and I are lucky and unlucky in that we've got business and personal. Lucky and more lucky, Diana. <laughs> no, yes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, and we had a what would be deemed a partnership discussion last night which was very similar to this whole um, conversation, what are our roles? Are we actually performing to our roles? And fair to say we both decided that we could both be doing better. I won't even make a joke. Yep, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, some, well, it was a serious discussion. You know, sometimes yeah. we are just tiptoeing and you think, <laughs> you know what, just leave it. Yeah. Just leave <laughs> that ball in the air. Yeah. Um, but that, you, um, You're absolutely correct. It was not... We believe we could get more out of each other yes. by supporting each other differently because we've evolved again. My we, God, all the therapies work. No, I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> um, which is a short way of saying we could both be doing better. Yeah. And we should both be doing better. Now, imagine having that discussion with someone who was not legally bound to you. It's, uh, it's not an easy chat for us to have but we have got enough behind us in terms of we are both high performers. We respect each other. And we both know where we're going to. So it's an easier discussion for us to have because it comes from a place of absolute respect. So you've given the framework for everyone else to use then. Not be like us. I mean, there's probably three core things of, yeah, don't be like us. Don't do that, guys. This is, cameras are on. We're good here, but jeepers. (laughs) Um, Yes, I would say that I have. So one, you both need to know where you're going. Two, you have to do it from a huge place of respect. And it's not that the other person is the problem. It's talking about what the problem is. And then you have to f- you not figure out, you have to communicate it and you have to do it in a way that is respectful. Absolutely. And, and for us, you know, oh, why don't we just let everyone into our personal <laughs> life? Oh, Lord. For us, the challenge at the moment is that we've taken on roles, um, in the, the senior roles in our companies and the group's expanding. And lucky enough, a few things are starting to move in the direction that we hope and a little bit faster than we hoped. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't say that. Touch wood. We wanted to keep going that way. But I feel like um, – do you remember the pictures from the Colosseum where there's a gladiator standing in the back of the chariot 
and there's eight horses running and they've got the reins. Yeah. Except the horses are starting to go a little right, a little left <laughs> and a little middle and we just don't have the capacity to hold all the reins and we don't quite have um, – because we're heavily invested in the growth of some of these companies, we don't have the ability to bring in a ton of new resources to help that because it would be the wrong time. It would throw out the culture too much. It wouldn't allow us to still – keep control of the things we need to at this point before we push the scale buttons that it's a difficult time so we actually have to essentially monthly reevaluate what role in leadership we're playing what role in the partnership and what's our responsibility because what lana was doing a month ago it's, it's impossible to do now it is impossible to do now it takes too much energy she's playing four roles that are full-time roles and yes, we'll hire for them. Yes, we'll bring in people. Yes, we'll um, promote people. But it's the same thing. Nigel, you've got the same thing. You know, as we said, casually start this media department and we're sitting there going, oh, Tim, um, this, uh, I could have a team of five here and we'd have plenty of work to do. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah no, you'll be right. Do it another week, another week. But it, it, that's not a sustainable thing. So without that level of, um, you know, I don't want to use the word radical candor because it's the buzzword everywhere, but it's a great, we have to have, blunt conversations around what needs to happen but the difference is that our conversation isn't now it's your problem it is now we've put the problem on the table how should we all attack this so we can break it down into smaller pieces so we know how to perform better to solve the problem mm. and we we spoke about this yesterday actually it's funny it's come up maybe it's just in our subconscious except Lana wasn't here and she brought it up <laughs> so that's weird which is we are um, we focus on the problem not the people and we're in a no-blame culture and that's really, really important. And I think that's um, – it, it, it's probably the key to all of these difficult type of conversations in your partnership when it starts to go in a direction that you don't feel it's aligned is what is the problem and let's blame the problem together, not the people. The people are doing everything right. They have every right to be the same partner they were five years ago just because the business has changed, the environment's changed and you've got more success or less success than you want, the people bought in and did what they did to get there. You both did. You both contributed or if it's a group, all of you did. But as soon as you start looking at the person as the problem, you're screwed. And it's funny that you had this discussion because I had an ops meeting with two of our team members ah. and I said a very similar thing to them too and what came out of it was I said, give me everything that you would like fixed in your role. And we got a nice little hit list of it. And let's just say we had 10. Yep. Eight of them have already been ticked off in a week. And all that was based on was communication about what they needed so that I could do the role that I was fulfilling better, which would then allow them to do their role better. And now we've got this really great relationship um, where they can come to me and they know that this is her role, this is what she does my job is to communicate prioritization and the reason why it's not working. And so that's changed the whole dynamic of that partnership Yep. and it's made the business better. And I think if you bring it back to Formula One, is it the car, is it the tyres, is it the pressure, is it the driver? It's everything and it's nothing. Mm. And that's how you have to look at it because if the driver gets blamed because he gets the win or the loss, everyone behind him feels it. To Nigel's point of the person doing the tyre pressure, that's his job and that's his pride. He also feels the pain. And that's when a team and a performance team really work together 
is everyone's winning and everyone's losing at the same time together regardless of who is out front or who's in the back. Absolutely. And you see the teams that implode and collapse during the season because you just see that, um, you know, you've got to imagine that the drivers themselves are temperamental beings to the fact of the matter to even get into, put it this way, how many people on earth are there at the moment? Give or take ten. Like what are we talking about at the moment? What's I think the, there's seven billion. Some, like let's just use that as an example. Yep. Seven billion and ten. And I know I was going to make a really bad joke. That's just like you've got seven billion people and say that, I don't know, five billion of them or whatever are of, of driving age. So these are the 20 best skilled people at a global skill. So everyone drives and these are the ones. It's not like playing in a sporting team. Everyone drives. So everyone has the ability to be a Formula One driver and make tens of, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. But these are the 20 best. Most of them have started when they're five years old. And not five year, years old like every other sport, five years old at a sport that everyone can drive something. And so they've got here and these are the best 20. So their whole life's dedicated to being able to drive a car faster than someone else. And imagine that what you have to be in your mindset to win that level of competition just to get a seat, just to get a seat, let alone a good seat in a good team. It's, it's so minuscule. The competition, the level of detail you need in your life to just be able to, even the ones that come across as casual, don't be fooled. They are robotic, psycho, amazing athletes. The level of focus you have to get just to be in the vicinity of Formula One is incredible. They're disruptive elements because you've got massive egos in a team that's there just to try and give them their dream and do their job right. So those type of environments are very – like the, the communication and the personality is they're meant to be fiery. They're meant to, they're meant to constantly create friction to get better performance. But the ones that capitulate – you see that when the drivers chuck a hissy fit because they're not happy with the engineer because they think I'm going 350 k's an hour, the engineering's crap on this car, my life's actually in danger. So they start not to communicate. They start getting angry. They start to, you can hear through the radios telling their team who designed this piece of whatever. These are the sort of things that in environments like that, they're built to take that feedback. No one gets annoyed. They understand the high pressure and then they find out where the problem can be solved. And I think particularly in companies that are not so successful in the ones we see is because they literally can't take um, people pressure. Mm. They can't take feedback because people take it on personally. Oh, they said that about the job I did. I hate them. And I'm getting much better personally. I know I used to have a two-week turnaround where Tim would tell me something. and then Why I. <laughs> Well, you wanted to be in business, so your fault. Um, Two-week turnaround from what he said for me to actually process it, deal with it and most cases, unfortunately for me, realise he was right. That then reduced to I would say probably about a day, maybe quite quickly, very steep learning curve. And I, I'd say now still not great at it but I would say it's about a three to five minute. Tim will say something. I will get my back up internally and then calm myself down and say, no, this is his job, this is my job. I listen and I execute. Yeah, you're my spirit animal. <sighs> I'm trying so hard. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy. My no, aim is high to, performance. Mm, yeah. My aim is to get that down to A, he says it and I do it. 
But I, I think um, just but going back to the original. Sorry, you've got. I was just saying, sorry, I'll say about. But by the way, I couldn't probably play any role but the driver. We know. Yeah, yeah. most definitely. And Absolutely. That, and that's the thing is, the, I admire how you guys can process that, and that's having the right people in the right seats. And I think that's the little different because I recently have felt moving from the driver to what would be called the team principal, mm. which is you actually, I don't need to drive. I just need to see the strategy of the whole team because I'm more interested in winning the constructors championship than the drivers championship. And that's been a big shift because mm. one's about being an individual and getting what you want. The other is building a team that can dominate everything. And I think that's a you know, we've seen that obviously here, but I've definitely felt that because honestly, there are other people who drive better. Yeah. And the drivers still go in and motivate. They still go in and have that discussion. Just it's at a different level to the team leader. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry, Nigel, I cut you off. Yeah, you did. Um, but let's be honest, I probably my point was probably more interesting. <laughs> yes, no, uh, 100%. <laughs> that's why you're the driver. Um, Team principal, why aren't you listening? God. <laughs> yeah, aspirations versus reality. Uh, just in the environment you have here and the discussion you've had, the original question that you asked yep. was um, how do you have the discussion with somebody that you've outgrown mm. here and the discussion that you guys have had. You're in, you guys particularly, but an extension out, you guys are aligned. There has never been a time where you haven't been openly communicating about where you want to go. So your discussions are based Publicly. on... Yeah, very much so. <laughs> but um, they're, they're always aligned to a, to a certain place and you're growing to those skill sets. If you bump up against a place where the skill set starts to get thin, you let each other know before it becomes an issue. Nigel, probably... I'll, do you know what? I feel guilty because I don't want to project something that's not true by Lana and I. I want to okay. and I want to talk Ooh. about it. Yeah. Um, Lana was kind enough in the last transition to say, tell me what you want to build, Tim, and I'll build it for you. Yep. We were partners in the other business, which was, Lana, we should build this together. And Lana's like, great, get out of my way. But this is a different conversation for us where Lana's given me permission to build my dream. Yes. It's a big difference from um, a partnership now to changing the whole gear of – there's a selfishness that I'm allowed to now play in the area I want. I just don't want people who are in partnerships like ours to think that we just have these aligned goals. Lana's doing me a favor by allowing me to grow my dream at the cost of what she would probably do in life if she had free reign, which, by the way, she does, both time and resources. So she's not doing you a favor at all? Well, what Because no, no partnership is equal at any point. No, and I think and I think that's getting onto your point is particularly if you're in a personal partnership as well in the business, there is always someone who's probably um, allowing the other person to have more of what they want rather than um, equally what they both want. And that's the thing. I just want to make sure. I know that was probably the well, point that you were – just to jump in, yeah. Nigel, Tim is giving background to anyone listening, not disagreeing with you. So we're still yeah. in, oh, no, in yeah. alignment yeah, – yeah. But the alignment is not Alana's goal. The alignment is towards Tim's goal. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where we're talking about that driver, yep. pit boss, team leader, whatever it is, analogy. In the previous business, you were both driving or one was driving, one was navigating. 
It in, definitely wasn't navigating. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you, so I'm trying to keep with a car analogy here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in this business and in any real partnership, there is where there's an understanding that from the basis that everything I say is for I'm on your side is what it comes to. And to be on somebody's side means at this point I need to raise you up because for the good of the partnership and the for the partnership to win, that is the role you need to play. A lot of other people I don't believe have that ability or sorry, not that ability, they have the opportunity to have that conversation and that outgrowing of a partner. The duty as I see it of a leader, not the business owner, but the leader, even if there's a partnership, there is a leader yeah. in it. And the, the duty of care that a leader plays to the partners and I've seen this and I've been this, if you're seeing someone drowning because they are outside of their skill set, it is murderous to watch. The duty Horrible. of care of the person that sees that, there is no other option but to have that conversation. If you do not have that conversation, you have no, I believe you have no respect for the person that you are in partnership with. Oh, absolutely. But you got to remember the byproduct of that is, so what are the options? So we're, we're talking here logically because also we've had iterations and I'd like to think that we're, um, we're removed from a lot of these emotional conversations because it's how we evaluate the world, which is if there's someone better right now, replace me. It doesn't mean you have to sell your equity, but if you're in smaller businesses in partnerships where you've outgrown your partner or you see your partner is struggling to reinvent themselves as the business reinvents itself, which businesses must reinvent themselves or they die. So where does that leave that person? And these are the type of conversations in a partnership you need to address is what happens if one of us actually becomes redundant? Is there an option to exit? Is there a criteria for keeping my role? How do we, how do we foresee this and put in some mechanisms for the inevitable thing that's going to happen? Because... It, there is a point where you will be outgrown. You just happen to be a partner in the business or you happen to be an equity holder in the business who's had a job in the business. But these are some of the things that even if you don't formalize the discussion now is even if you're in a partnership thinking about what if you're outgrown in the partnership? Because most people think about, yeah, it'll be my partner that's outgrown. But what if you're it? Mm. What if you're the one who actually doesn't fit where the company's going? How will you feel about that? What would you do at that point would you feel you'd be happy to play a role in the company where you're not actually in a leadership role because you're not suited to it we see so many companies that uh that destroy themselves internally because the ego of having to hold on to what the partner thinks they are best at versus someone who could be doing it better could be doing it cheaper could be doing it bigger isn't ever allowed to be in a key role because the partner's going to lose their identity and that's the business will never move. Mm. And there's all this stress and everything always feels hard and it it's horrible. Like it's, this is really horrible because we, we see it so often with clients that we've got to help with businesses we want to take over. It's like this is a great business. If these guys, you know, if they just got out of their own way, this would be great but <laughs> easier said than done. Do those problems not just come up when people refuse to have the conversation? Nigel, people do it in their personal lives and that's 24 hours. They're in marriages, they're in relationships and they're refusing to respect the other person by saying how they actually feel. Yeah. Why would they do it in business? 
it'll, the stakes are so much lower. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like it's human nature. It's difficult to have com- like radical candor, right? Communication that if you don't feel safe or uh, this is everything. Like, <laughs> yeah, and to be honest with you, it does come back to the vision. It doesn't matter if it's business or relationship or driving a car. Why are we here in a business? Are we here Such a good question. to achieve? In a relationship, yeah. are we here to have a family and be happy? In a car, we're there to win the bloody championship, but which one? Does one come at a sacrifice of the other? And Both. Both, everything, <laughs> all of the things. And everyone will sit there and say, well, I can have it all. I'm sorry, you cannot have it all. I'm super, super sorry. At some point you have to choose. Tim and I have made personal decisions, which some people will think we're crazy for. Some people will say it's a sacrifice. We say it's a decision we have made to build the vision that we want. Some people in the car will say these guys are sacrificing so much they could die, but they want to win that championship. I guarantee we will. <laughs> I hate that word. I hate the word sacrifice when somebody like, – and TK, you used to use it with me mm. a lot in sacrificing family time for this and those kind of things. That word when put onto somebody else, it cheapens – because it's not a sacrifice, for, it's an investment. Yep. And, it's a choice. Yeah, and if you're making that choice for somebody else to go, oh, you're sacrificing so much, no, you would be sacrificing so much if you were doing it because you're not aligned to what I'm trying to do. Yeah, But yeah, if yeah. I choose to do it, shut up and let me do it. <laughs> like, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and so that's it's a big thing. So just, I guess, to bring it all together nicely – um, this idea of communication and respect for what you're doing and what everyone else is doing, that's what makes performance. You keep doing your job day in, day out. You do it to the best of your ability. If someone's better than you at it, you find a way to get them there so that you can keep doing your job. I think that's a really good way to sort of round this up and that's that in Formula One you have a contract, they view that as that means how much I need to pay you out when I sack you before it ends. <laughs> it's in our life when we come back to a semi-normal world but we still want to play in high performance and have great partnerships that help us achieve high performance. It's about having the ability to not hold back questions you need to ask or what you need to talk about with your partner because you've just robbed yourself of time, you've robbed them of time and you've robbed the business a chance to progress and get stronger. Because if you can get to that level of communication where it's brutal transparency and brutal honesty, there's not a lot that can't be solved if the people want to be reasonable. But if the people aren't reasonable, well, it's great because you've bought the time frame ahead of schedule because it was never going to work anyway. Guys, good to discuss. I know we went down on a few um, <laughs> – maybe we went round the racetrack a few times there – but um, <laughs> sorry, edit point. Wow. Edit point. Um, Lana, thank you. Nigel, thank you. Look forward to next week. <laughs>